Father, that is the, it's been the power of your love that saved us, that keeps us saved. And not only that, but Lord, we enter into a relationship of great care and compassion and strength and mercy and forgiveness that will never end. Lord, help us even now as uh, we're going to look into your word as Pastor Pete comes to do it with that sort of mindset that you've done it all and all we've done is sort of whisper weak, I will. I will receive that from you. As those who are eternally loved and blessed, Father, help us to be open to what you have for us now, we pray. In the great name of Jesus, amen. I love about our church is the way we mix up our worship and were you guys blessed by that this morning yeah. it's all about Jesus it's all about him it's about worshiping him and now we're going to turn our attention to his word if you have a copy of God's word would you open it up or turn it on to Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning and We've been breaking up our study of the book of Luke into several mini-series, and this morning we're kicking off a new mini-series called A Rejection from Every Angle. We're at that point in the, in the story where Jesus has now been betrayed by Judas, and now he's going to be put on a trial, an unjust trial, an illegal trial in the middle of the night that will lead to his crucifixion. And while that seems unfair, it was done within the sovereignty of God as he eternally planned that he would allow men to carry out that to restore man through his gift of salvation. The primary, char primary character this morning is going to be Peter. But I want us to know that as we kind of focus on Peter and we read this passage of his famous denial of Christ, that we're going to finish our morning with our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. And my hope and my prayer has been that you guys, and, and that myself included, would leave this morning uh, full of hope, but challenged and stirred to consider what we see in Peter's life and ask ourselves the question, is this true of me? And how can I learn from that? And so let's take the, the time now to turn our attention to God's Word and read our text for this morning, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54. Would you stand with me as we read? This is the word of the Lord. And having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to a house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him, as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he told him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Do you believe that happened? It did. You may be seated. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you for this morning. <clears throat> and I thank you for this opportunity to learn. We learn from all the stories of the Bible, including the ones of failure, God. And I pray this morning that we would consider not only what was going on in Peter's heart and in his mind at that moment that he denied your son, but that we would be reminded of the great hope and restoration that took place through the son. God, would you stir our affections towards you, and would you let your word speak clearly to us this morning? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you had the strength to do it easily, but the situation quickly told you you didn't? I have. Uh, there was a time where I, I, I've shared some of these stories before. I, I got invited to play in a slow-pitch softball game. Played a little high school baseball back in the day and was very humiliated when I struck out at slow pitch softball in front of a bunch of grown men. <laughs> There's no sympathy in that when you walk back to the dugout. I've also shared in a previous sermon at the time that we were at doing a ropes course on a mission trip in Latvia and I skipped the beginner course and went to a secondary course and learned really quickly that I had not the skill or the strength or the flexibility to endure what I was about to go through but I was locked in and I couldn't go back. This past summer, I, I set out on another project at my house. Uh, we had this patio that was, was uneven and the bricks and the pavers were all, had just started to erode and it needed to be rebuilt. And so I had done a little bit of paper work in the past. And so I, I thought this, this job at most would take me a week. And so I uh, began to order the gravel and the rock that I needed to replace what I was going to do. And I was going to expand this paper patio myself. And so I got into it and I began to dig it out by hand. And I began to move it. And, and things were kind of going slower than I thought, but hey, that's okay. And as I started to get into the process, even though it was easy at first, taking up the old pavers and moving to the side, but then as I began to break the ground and began to shovel it out, I realized there was quite a bit of dirt that I was having to scoop out. And I called a friend over to help me because I needed some help trying to grade it, make sure that it was going to be leveled the right way. And I asked my friend to come over and help me, and he made a really astute observation. He says, you understand that all that amount of those huge piles of rock and gravel that you have in your driveway, you know you have to take out that much dirt first. I didn't re realize that. <laughs> and then my house is on a hill, and there's absolutely no easy way to get it around. And I was like, well, how are you going to get all that rock and the, these yards, yards and yards of rock and sand? How are you going to get it back here? I'm like, well, I'm just going to wheelbarrow it. He said, call me when you're finished with that because I want to see how big your biceps are at the end of that project. <laughs> I'm like, what? I, I quickly learned I did not think this through. I thought I had what I needed. I had a little experience. I had the time. I had the willingness. I had the physical strength to accomplish this task. But as I got into it, I quickly revealed that I was underprepared and I underestimated what lied ahead. As we read this passage, and as we've, we've been through it before, probably in our time growing up in the church, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about someone denying knowing Christ after spending many, many years with him. We are reminded that perceived natural strength can be a disadvantage, especially in spiritual things. 
when we think we have the strength, it actually becomes a disadvantage to us. Why? Well, because we underestimate the challenges up ahead, and we underprepare for the moment of truth. And in that moment, our weakness is revealed. This was Peter. You know, there's no disciple in the Gospels recorded more than Peter. His words are recorded. All four Gospel writers talk about Peter. He's one of the first disciples that's listed when they list out the different people. Peter was a staunch defender of Christ. He was supported. He, He claimed that he would follow Christ no matter what. There was nothing that was going to deter him from his commitment to following Jesus. He said he believed, unlike any of his peers. But the scriptures are also pretty clear that there was no disciple more agitating to Jesus. The disciple that Jesus constantly had to put in place. That Peter kept getting ahead of Jesus. That Peter thought that he had the the ability to help Jesus accomplish what Jesus had come to do. And there were times where Jesus had to say, Peter, stop it. Even times where he said, you are being influenced not by God, but by Satan. Stop it. Peter, be quiet. Peter, get back here. But he was not short of confidence. And this was evident even a few verses before here in chapter 22. His comment in verse 33, where Jesus has just told his 12 disciples at the last Passover meal they would observe together that one of these 12 men was going to betray Jesus. And it says that a discussion broke out amongst those 12 on who was going to be the most loyal, who was going to be the greatest, the most deserving of God's recognition and admiration because that person was going to be the most fierce companion. They all start arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Peter claims that he is going to be the one that goes. And he even makes a statement here, In verse 33, where it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. See, not only did he say, no, I'm going to be more loyal. No, I'm going to be the one that's with Jesus to the end. I'm not turning away no matter what comes. He upped the ante. He went all in. He said, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. But Jesus told Peter that he was actually going to deny even knowing him in just a few short hours. But Peter didn't believe Jesus. Peter didn't believe Jesus because he believed in himself, and that was his greatest problem, self-reliance. But if 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 we're real with each other this morning, that is our greatest problem, self-reliance, that we believe in ourselves. Our text is a narrative. This passage, verses 54 through 62, is a narrative. It's giving a historical account of what took place after they had arrested Jesus in Gethsemane. The men took them now, it says Jesus. They led him to a house of the high priest, and they're preparing to to carry out the plan. And Peter is actually true to his word. It says that in Gethsemane, all the apostles, uh, all the disciples, excuse me, they ran away. They, They fled in fear when Jesus was arrested. And, and Peter, it says here, though, Peter followed at a distance. He, he was true to his word. He was the last one standing. Although John appeared to be there possibly as well, if you read John's account. But this text in here shows us a fulfillment of what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, Peter, before the night is over, before the morning comes, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny 
knowing me. You're going to deny me. You're going you're to cut off any association. You're going to be convincing that you and I have no relationship, that you are not a supporter of mine. You're not a follower of me in just a few short hours. But as we consider this denial and Jesus' response, I think it's important for us to first understand that there is a difference here between his actions and the actions we looked at a couple weeks ago of Judas. You see, Judas' betrayal was born out of wickedness. But Peter's denial was born out of weakness. Uh, in, your, in your notes, we have a, a quote from one commentator on Luke, and, and he offers this brief explanation about the difference between weakness and wickedness. He says, there's a tremendous difference between wickedness, Judas, and weakness, Peter. Wickedness receives condemnation. Weakness receives help and comfort. Nothing could be more important than making an accurate diagnosis of our failures. Do they come from wickedness or weakness? Is our heart darkened with sin, or are our frames but dust? The Lord rejects the wicked, but he will receive the weak. He invites them, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In fact, Christ knew Peter's weakness, and he knows our weakness. He places himself in this position of rejection so that he might be familiar with our weakness and help us with it. Are you weak? Christ is strong. Are you unable to stand in the hour of temptation? Run to Christ who defeats your temptation. Do you try to stand in your own strength? Admit your weakness and discover the strong arms of God. Weakness is but an invitation to trust the Lord Jesus Christ with what we cannot trust ourselves, our souls. Weakness is not unique to Peter. And like Peter, we are the most vulnerable to our weaknesses, to these pet sins, to these, these bents in our lives, these things that, hey, when we start to rely on ourselves and we stop abiding in Christ, when we stop trusting in Him, when we stop going to Him, when we stop acknowledging that we need Him to guide our lives because guiding ourselves is going to lead us back to these sins. It's going to lead us back to these things that our sinful nature desires and moves towards quickly if we're not following Jesus. We need to understand that we are the most vulnerable to those weaknesses when we are self-reliant and prayerless. What causes us to stumble in the same sins that constantly seem to trip us up? It's when we start to convince ourselves that we have the power to do it on our own without Christ's help. And we fail to be proactive in our prayer, asking him to give us victory again today, moment by moment, over those pet sins. Peter, Peter already claimed that he had the ability to be loyal to Christ. He said, I'm willing to go with you to prison and death. I'm ready. Peter was naive. He thought his love for Jesus, I love you so much, Jesus, there's nothing that would ever cause me to turn against that love. I love you more than anybody else, Jesus. That love is strong. That love is the power that's going to make me do what's right. I wonder if you've ever thought that. My love for God, my love for my family, my love for his word, that's going to be what it causes me to not give in to sin or give in to temptation or do something that is wrong. And when Jesus told all of his followers, when he led them up to the garden and said, I want you to pray for yourselves that you will not fall into temptation. I want you to pray for yourselves that you will, God will give you the strength and the ability to overcome what you're about to face as they come and arrest me. It says they did not pray, they slept. Peter was proud, and he was prayerless, and he failed. 
I want us to see a pattern of failure in Peter's life because I believe it's the same pattern that we see in the life of a believer when we fail. And I want us to learn from Peter's mistake. The first thing we see here is our sinful ways. Peter is there, and again, just hours before, he is boldly proclaiming that out of all of Jesus' followers, he would be the most loyal. He was ready to go to prison. He was ready to die for Jesus. How quickly does Peter cower to the charge of a servant girl. A servant girl. Peter now is traveling at a distance. There would have been a courtyard. These houses had uh, these internal courtyards. You'd go in through a gate or a door. You'd close the gate. You'd have the house kind of built around this open space. And so it says they led Jesus there. And and they the men and, and all these soldiers and the people who had gathered, these servants, so they're waiting in the courtyard for the next step. And they start a fire. It's a cool night. And Peter is there. He's trying to be incognito. It says that kind of with each question, if you look at the other gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark, it says that Peter begins to kind of maybe move away from that fire. He starts out here in Luke. It says he's sitting with them. But we get this indication that as he begins to get questioned, he gets very uncomfortable and starts to try to be on the outskirts more and more. This servant girl is looking at him intently, as sometimes kids do when they can tell something's wrong, and questions he immediately denies. Don't know what you're talking about. Peter had always struggled with self-reliance. He said he would be the greatest and the most loyal. He said he loved Jesus the most, but he cowers at the charge of strangers. It tells us in the other gospel account of Mark that he got, by the third questioning of him, it says that he was adamant that he was not with Jesus. It said he began to curse and swear He's he's using violent, vile language. He is swearing that I swear to you that I am not a part of this. I am not with this guy. There's no indication from the text even that they were trying to get Peter in trouble. They were just trying to point out, hey, weren't you with him? Hey, I think you were one of them. Look, you sound like a Galilean. Jesus is from Galilee. But Peter is just, when, when, when that moment of truth came to prove was he truly loyal, he immediately begins to cower. And when we in our our sinful ways, when we're struggling with sin, when we complete our pet sins, it is often accompanied by a jarring moment of personal awareness. As a believer, we can, when we're not prayerful and when we are self-reliant, we can begin to dabble in those pet sins. We we bent. Again, you don't follow Christ. There's going to be something that you quickly start to veer towards. Something that's different for all of us. But as soon as he starts to veer off, as soon as we start to veer off and we begin to give into that temptation, we begin to act sinfully, there is a moment of awareness after we complete that sin that it's a jarring awareness. What did I just do? What am I doing? It says that that happened to Peter in verse 60. It says, but Peter said this is the third time he denies Christ. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. He is adamant he is swearing he is cursed he is trying to convince them i do not have anything to do with this jesus it says immediately while he was still speaking a rooster crow and he's jarred see the spirit-filled believer when we are in our sin there will come this moment for all of us where we come to our senses This is the first step in the process of dealing with our sin. The second thing that happens then is the Savior's gaze. 
Verse 61 says, Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Holy Spirit intensifies our awareness of the fact God saw our sin. As a believer, this pattern of failure, it starts with we, we're proud, we're self-reliant, we think we're doing pretty good in our faithfulness to God, we think we're doing pretty good in overcoming those things that we tend to struggle with in our own personal walk with the Lord, and we begin to kind of, in our self-reliance, unknowingly quickly bit, get towards, we start flirting with that line, and then we cross it, and then we come to our senses, what am I doing, why am I doing this again, this is where I always go to, why am I stumbling, why am I struggling with this? We're aware, and then immediately we are brought to, to a remembrance that there are no secret sins from God, that his Holy Spirit resides in those who place their faith in him, and we are, we are really obviously aware that God saw exactly what we just did. It says that he looks up, and the Lord turns and looks at Peter. Can you imagine what that look felt like? Could you imagine looking up and, and seeing the Lord is looking at you? And then there's a, spirit, a scriptural phrase in the, in the process. See, when the Lord is involved, he will use scripture to convict us. It says that not only did he look at Peter, but then it says Peter remembered the word of the Lord from earlier that day, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. In John's gospel, in John chapter 14, verse 26, this is one of the things that that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would do for believers. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to give my life to pay for the sins of mankind so that I can offer salvation freely to all who believe. And I'm going to go back and prepare a place for you. I'm going to go back into heaven, but I'm going to come back for you. But in the meantime, in the in-between, I'm going to send my spirit. The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's going to indwell you. The Holy Spirit's going to take up residence inside of you, and it's going to be able to guide you and begin to transform you. The biblical word is sanctify you, begin to set you apart, begin to change you from the inside out. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit's going to do for you, it says in John chapter 14, verse 26, is to be a helper. John says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is a good gift from God the Father. That in those moments when we are in sin, we come to our senses, and the Holy Spirit makes us aware, convicts us, and makes us aware that God has seen our sins. He brings to light truth in the midst of darkness. The Holy Spirit helps us understand what God's Word says. It helps us remember the things we've already read, why that's sin. Helps us remember how we are supposed to deal with it. Helps us remember the hope that we have, that we're not hopeless and helpless when we fall back into our sinful patterns but there is still grace and forgiveness and restoration available in Christ. He sends us that truth, and at first it stings, but then it becomes the salve for our wounds. This is a good thing. I've said before that I was uh, very fortunate to have a very godly role model growing up. My father was my spiritual hero. He was he was a guy that I wanted to model my life after, and I remember when he got close to passing away, uh, after he was battling cancer for many years, I remember just sitting with him in a moment of vulnerability and just kind of, not angry, but just just scared. Saying, God, what am I, I said, Dad, what am I going to do when you're not here? You're the guy that I go to for advice. You're the guy that I lean on. My dad, being 
the man he was said, hey, if I've taught you anything, it's that God is going to be the one that's going to lead you and guide you. You need to be relying on him. He'll remember. He'll help you remember. And if there was anything that I said that needs to be remembered, it would have been from God, and so he's going to bring it to your mind. You lean into the Lord, and you don't worry about it. That spiritual conviction when we're in our sins and then that awareness that he brings to our life, that is so uncomfortable, but it's what we need to hear. That's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that brings to life darkness. It is the path out. We need it. And so Peter looks to the Lord and he remembers what the Lord had said, what was going to happen. And then we see the next step, which is a broken haze. We're in our sinful ways. We begin to feel the Savior's gaze. We remember a spiritual phrase, and then we're in a broken haze. As God's children, failure to sin should break our heart. Brokenness is part of the process. It says in verse 62 that Peter went out and wept bitterly in the New American Standard. That word in the Greek literally means to weep in in such a way as if you were grieving the loss of somebody. This was true weeping. This is a common result. This is a common response to feeling guilty or feeling shameful, right? When we are truly broken, we are moved to tears. We are overwhelmed with what have we done? But true brokenness is more than tears. True brokenness is more than tears. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What is Paul saying here? There's two responses to our sin. One is remorse, and the other is repentance. Remorse is feeling guilty or feeling shameful, feeling bad, for what we did, maybe just feeling bad for getting caught, we're, we're discouraged, why did this happen? But remorse stops there. It doesn't lead to any change. It just leads to feeling bad about yourself until that sting kind of wears off and then you're left where you, where you were at. But repentance is something different. And that's what godly grief does. When the grief is actually rooted in God's word, when we understand our sin is against the holy God, when we, when, we, when we stop trying to justify it, when we stop making excuses, and we come to that part of brokenness that we see Peter at here, godly grief, godly sorrow produces repentance. And that word repentance means that we begin not only to acknowledge that what we've done is sinful, but we begin to turn away from it. The word repentance literally means to turn and go in the other direction. So it's one thing to feel sorry for doing something wrong. It's another thing to turn away from it and say, I'm not doing that anymore. But we can't do that in our own power and ability. Because again, self-reliance does not lead us to victory. Only in him do we have the power to overcome our sin. So brokenness in Peter is what it would take for him to surrender it all to Jesus. He had to get to that point where he said, you know, I thought I loved Jesus enough. I thought that I was going to be the most loyal. And then how quickly did I deny him three times just as he predicted? He warned me it was going to happen. He told me it was just a moments away, and I still didn't believe him. I still thought I knew better than God. I still thought I was going to be the exception to the rule. 
Have you ever felt that way in regards to the sin in your life? I can do it this time on my own. Everybody else falls into temptation, and they give into that sin when they do that, but I can flirt with that, and it's not going to impact me the same way because I'm just better. I'm just more spiritual. I've just learned my lesson already, and I can do this on my own. Those are famous last words. The gospel authors are forceful. They write out this, they air Peter's dirty laundry in the gospels. They don't, they don't sugarcoat this. They basically say, this is what Peter did. Why would they be so forceful? Why would they, why would they include all of those specific facts that, man, Peter, he knew better. He denied. He, did, he was sinful. Man, he started cursing and swearing. This guy, look at how bad he failed. Why would the authors be so forceful and so, so uh, purposeful to include all the details? I believe it's because this is part of Peter's testimony. Because there was already set aside for Peter that final step, a restoration of joyous days. And this is where we now shift off of Peter and we now begin to focus our eyes firmly on Christ as we finish our time together this morning. Peter was in his sinful ways. He remembered that spiritual or the Savior's gaze. He had that scriptural phrase, remember what the Lord said. He's in a broken haze. But now there is a promise, a hope of a restoration to joyous days. Remember when it says that Peter, as soon as he's saying that third denial, the rooster crows and immediately he, he looks and Jesus is looking at him. And we talked about what did that look? I mean, what was, how heavy was that look? But I believe that Jesus not only is looking at Peter and communicating with his eyes, Peter, you know that I know what I said. But I believe that Jesus also wants Peter to go, but Peter, remember everything that I said. Earlier in chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus says this to Peter. Peter's, Peter's name was Simon. He, he was, his name was also Peter. And it says in, in verse 31 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. It's it's all of them. He wants, to, he wants to be able to kind of mess with the apostles. But look what Jesus says in verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Not only did Jesus predict in verse 34 that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But just prior to that, Jesus made a, a promise. He said, Peter, I've been praying for you. And I know that you're going to deny me. But I'm praying for you because I know that when you turn back, when you turn away from that sin and you turn back to me, I'm praying for you. I'm praying a prayer for you that you will be strong enough to carry out what I've actually called you to do. I have a plan for you, Peter. The moment the rooster crowed, Jesus is thinking about Peter and praying for him. This is an amazing thing about our Savior. Jesus is he's about to take on the cross. He's about to go through this unjust trial. And yet, that rooster crows and he's looking at Peter. And that look is, is both condemning and it's also encouraging. He's been praying for Peter. He's been thinking about He's been praying for his, his disciples. He's been praying for them, even though he's the one about to go through an unjust torture. That's our Savior. 
In our moments of weakness, he's there with us. He sees us. He cares. The Lord would come to Peter. The Lord would restore him. Luke doesn't really highlight this restoration, but I want you to turn over me real quickly to John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we kind of get the rest of the story. Peter is devastated by his denial. He's, he's hiding out with the disciples, but yet he's the first one to see Jesus. He's the first one to run to the tomb. And it says in John chapter 21 that they had been fishing and and Jesus comes and he meets them. He provides breakfast through a miracle. And it says in John chapter 21, verse 15, So they had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. The Lord would come to Peter, and he found him humble. Peter is broken. He's shame-filled. And Jesus begins to have this interaction with him. And we know, many of you know this, that in this passage, there's actually two words for love being used here. One is a, a word called agape. It's an unconditional, faithful love that's given no matter what. It's, it's a God love. And then there's phileo, a brotherly love. It's, it's a love for a family member. Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Peter, in his humble, broken state, says, I, 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 you know I phileo you, Lord. I can't get to agape. This is all I've got is phileo. He asks him again, do you love me, Peter? Do you agape me? No, Lord, you know I, I, I phileo you. Then he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I've already said this. But the Lord would restore him. The Lord would restore him. He gave Peter a job. Peter, because you love me, tend to my sheep. Take care of them. You're in the one now. I want you to go out. I want you to be not only a proclaimer of the gospel. I want you to be leading my followers. I want you to be taking the good news to them and to the world. But Jesus would also prophesy over him again. Not of failure, but of victory this time. Remember the last time Peter, Jesus made a prediction for Peter. that you're going to deny me now. He's, he's prophesying victory, restoration. You know, Peter says, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I'm ready to go, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm ready to go to prison and to death for you. We saw that Peter denied him, wasn't willing to do that. But look what Jesus says in verse 18 here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would be glorifying God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Jesus to Peter, follow me. Jesus says, Peter, you used to want to do this. You said you were going to go, you were willing to go to prison and go to death, and, and you weren't able to do that in your own power, but I'm going to get you to agape. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the ability to be faithful in a way that you can't do on your own. Peter, you're gonna follow, they're gonna, they're gonna bind your hands, you're gonna go to prison for me and they're eventually going to kill you like they're gonna kill me. And you're gonna do that willingly because you're going to agape me. Sometimes when we sin, sometimes when we trip over in our repeated sins, those pet sins, we begin to think in our flesh, and the enemy begins to put thoughts in our heads that we are worthless, there's no hope for us, we can never overcome this, there's no purpose, uh, it's all been lost because of our sin. But what we learn here is that there is a restoration of glorious days in Christ. It's not finished with us. So what do we do with that this morning? This narrative text, this familiar pattern that I know as I was looking at this and talking with the guys this week, I mean, definitely resonates in my life that when I am proud and prayerless, I tend to go towards certain pet sins. I struggle with certain things over and over again when I'm on my own strength. And there's this moment of awareness uh, that, I, man, what am I doing? And then I remember that the Lord is seeing this, and then he brings to light scripture that reminds me that this is wrong. I need to avoid this or not do this. And I feel this remorse and this brokenness, and then where do we go from there? Because remember, remorse and repentance are two different things. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Scripture is really clear that a proud heart comes before us falling into temptation. A proud heart, self-reliant heart, comes before failure. And we are never more vulnerable to stumbling in those repeated pet sins than when we think we are strong. So how do we combat spiritual overconfidence this morning? Psalm 119 We don't have time to turn to it, but I want you to write it down. You might already have it memorized. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, I believe is the strategy for combating spiritual overconfidence. It says, how can a young man, and don't look at this as a gender thing, how can a young person keep their way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all of my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander for your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The, the plan, the strategy for overcoming spiritual overconfidence that will lead us into stumbling into those repeatable sins is to be fixed firmly on Jesus and on, on the word of God. The Bible tells us that sin is crouching at the door, that our enemy is prowling around looking for you to be confident enough to separate from the pack, to be confident enough for kind of to, to live independently, and he's waiting so that he can take you down. Your flesh is working against you in the exact same way. Your sinful flesh that has no power over the newness that you have in you if you are a believer in Christ. But if you stop abiding in Christ, if you stop living and and following his word, if you stop ingesting and treasuring his word in your heart, you will begin to become overconfident and prayerless and you will be taken down. So there's just two questions for us to consider. If you are overconfident, what would it take for you to be fully relying on God? If you are here this morning, you're going, you know what, I, I've actually been doing pretty good, and I, I feel like I've got this kind of handled, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you've stopped 
being prayerful. You've stopped asking the Lord to continue to give you the strength and the ability to have victory over your sin. You've stopped reading his word and being purposeful to treasure it in your heart. And you begin to start to veer towards self-reliance. What would it take for you to realize that? Come to your senses before you stumble and say, no, I've got to get back in his word. I've got to continue to pray. I've got to continue to let him be the source of victory in my life. What would it take? Is that you this morning? Are you living in the false reality that you've conquered everything that you need to conquer and now you can do it on your own? Listen, learn from the, the example of Peter that none of us are strong enough to overcome sin. It's only through Jesus can we have victory over sin. But perhaps you found yourself this morning and, and this passage has brought to light, man, you are broken. <laughs> This has been used because this is the you've been awakened, you've been shaken, you're, you're acknowledging that Christ has seen everything that you've done this week that's been sinful. You understand that the scriptures say that this is not okay, and you right now are feeling pretty broken. How do we want you to leave this room this morning? It may be in tears, but not tears of remorse, but tears of repentance, because here is our hope. Here is our confidence it tells us in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that's true? That there is no sin that you could have committed this week that is too big for God to forgive. It's too big for God to say, I, I already paid for that on the cross. And then 1 John 1 tells us that, that awesome truth that, that if we will confess that we have sinned, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've been sinning this week, if you've been trapped in a sin, if you've kind of gotten away because you've been overconfident in yourself and you've been prayerless and you have not pursued Christ to give you the victory, this morning, don't allow that to lead you just to remorse. Allow it to drive you to repentance. Confess that sin to the Lord and walk now in the power that says he's going to begin to restore me just like he restored Peter. That's the encouragement for us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the hope we have even when we sin. I thank you for the reality that there's nothing too, too evil or wicked that we could do, God, that you would say, nope, I'm not paying for that. I'm not forgiving that. Your love is deep. Your love is wide. And God, I pray that you would help us now leave this room this morning and, and be reminded through Peter's example that a proud and prayerless person is doomed to repeat the sins of the past. God, would you give us the awareness? Would you bring us to, to our eyes to light quicker, sooner? Would you help us to turn to you and not wait till we get in that situation? Would you continue to give us victory? Would you cause us to pursue you? But Father, I also ask this, that if there's anyone this morning that is now just broken, that, that you have, you, through your Holy Spirit, you begin to shake their hearts, you begin to shake their minds, and they are sitting there going, I have failed. What do I do? That they would, that they would turn to you. And that in that brokenness, that would be the first step of the process to repentance and to restoration in you. Thank you for the hope of restoration. Help us live with that view this week. We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.